fast or slow we go. But remember from our study last week that uh, Moses had come down off of the mountain carrying the Ten Commandments. When he gets down into the camp, he found out that they had made a golden idol, a golden calf, and were out there worshiping it. Moses got angry and threw those two tables of stone down and broke them. And then God began to discipline his people. But verse, or chapter 34 and verse 1, where we pick up tonight, the Lord is speaking to Moses, and the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. God's very plain about that. He could have just cut those people off. But God is a gracious God, and he'll, he'll show us that here in a little bit. He's willing to renew that covenant. They had broken the covenant, you see. They went into idolatry, and that had broken the covenant. But God says, Moses, I want you to go and hew out two more stones, tables, and I'll write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables which thou breakest. He tells Moses who broke them. Moses broke the first law, do you know that? <laughs> but uh, be ready in the morning. Come up in the morning into Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. No man shall come with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor herds feed before that mount. It's dangerous to go into God's presence if you're not invited in. He hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up to the Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and took in his hand the two tables of stone. I imagine climbing that mountain carrying two tables of stone was quite difficult, don't you? I don't know how thick those stones were. don't know what the dimensions or anything of that sort, the Bible doesn't tell us. But if you just had two pockets full of rocks, it'd make you tired climbing a mountain. <laughs> Remember being down in Nicaragua, we climbed a mountain, a, a family lived right up on top of the mountain. And we followed an old dry creek bed up that mountain. And we were, every one of us had her backpack on. And each one of us was carrying a, a box of groceries. We would take food to the houses that we were going to visit. Of course, they, they let us out of the van down at the bottom of the mountain. The van couldn't go up that mountain. So we had to carry it for two or three families or whoever who all lived up in there. But we got right to the very top. And we were all exhausted. And the little old skinny fellow, he's out there and talking to me. And we got to talking and found out that we were about the same age. And he got to showing me every, every tree around there. He had climbed it and trimmed the limbs off of it to way up almost to the top. 
and they would use those limbs for firewood. They cooked outside on a little stove there. And uh, I said, uh, do you go up and down this mountain very often? He said, about three times a day. And I said, boy, that's quite a mountain to climb. He said, yeah. I said, if you'll do it three times a day, you'll lose some weight. <laughs> I've remembered that. I know uh, Brother Gerald's son-in-law, Derek McCosh. If you know Derek, he's built like a big football player. But he was back behind me. And all at once I heard him holler, wait, wait, wait. And we all turned around and looked. He said, I'm about to have a cardiac. He was carrying that uh, box of groceries too. But he wasn't used to walking much. He had a desk job. And, uh, but he made it. But we had to kind of wait on him. But here Moses has gone up on the mountain. And look at what it says in verse 5. And the Lord descended in the cloud. There's that Shekinah glory. The Lord descends in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And that's all in capital letters there, so it's the word Jehovah. He proclaimed the name of Jehovah. And notice how he introduces himself. The Lord God, the Jehovah God, not a Jehovah God, the Jehovah God, the one and only. Merciful. Aren't you glad we have a merciful God? He's merciful to those who don't deserve mercy, but yet He's merciful. And gracious. Oh, the grace of God that extends to all of us. Gracious. Long-suffering. I'm glad the Lord's long-suffering. He puts up with me. And He can put up with me. I think He can put up with about anybody. And abundant in goodness. He's a good God. And truth. He is truth. Don't ever forget that. Keeping mercy for thousands. He's a merciful God, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He's a forgiving God. Somebody tell me the difference between iniquity, transgression, and sin. I didn't look it up. I'm, I'm asking. Transgression, I know, is when you cross a line. It's uh, very close to trespassing. Um, it, it all means sin, but there is a, a difference there. Um, transgression, iniquity. That's sins that God despises, hates. Forgiving iniquity. Our version says um, iniquity, rebellion, and sin. Okay. 
Rebellion's when you cross the line, isn't it? God said, don't go there, and we go there. Yep. Okay, thank you, Maureen. Um, losing my place. Visiting. Oh, wait a minute, back up here. And will by no means clear the guilty. He's a God of judgment. And if the sin is not atoned for, we're still guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children and the to the third and to the fourth generation. Now somebody's going to say that's not fair. Well, think about it. We usually pass on to the next generation what we say and do and those kind of things. And when we pass along the good things, God blesses that. But when we pass along the bad things, God's not pleased with that. So he, he judges people also. Look at Moses' reaction when God introduces himself there. Moses made haste. In other words, he hurried up and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. Here he is meeting with God. He's met with him before, but here he is. Every time that we meet with God, it's a fresh experience. Do you know that? There's something fresh about it every time. He worshiped. And he said, if now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. As Moses talks to God, he says, Lord, if I found grace in your sight, I pray, go with us. You see, God had told him he wasn't going with him. He's going to send an angel. But Moses is here still begging for God's presence to go with him. Go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people. I was uh, coming down here this afternoon listening to Moody Radio. And uh, Mark Job was preaching. I don't know if you've heard Mark or not. But he's, uh, I think he's the president of Moody Bible Institute. But he was preaching about being stiff-necked. And he, he gave an illustration. He said the word that is translated there, stiff-necked, it actually means a callous. And he illustrated it saying, you know, you, you work with something with your hands and you may get blisters on your hands and that dead skin rolls up and you pull it off and get down to the new skin and you do some more work and it, it uh, builds up. But he says, after a while, that turns into calluses. And he said, you can do that job with your hands and it doesn't hurt. You don't notice it anymore. And he said, that's the word that is translated stiff-necked. 
It means that you keep going on and on in sin. God made you aware of it when you first got into it, and it might have made you feel bad, but you went back and did it again and did it again. After a while, you don't feel it anymore. It's just become a part of your life. And that's the way God's people were here. They, they had become stiff-necked. But notice what uh, Moses says to God there in verse 9. Pardon our iniquity. And Moses had no part in making that calf. He had a part in destroying it, but he didn't have a part in it. But yet, as the leader, he takes some responsibility. He puts himself with his people. Pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us, us, all of us, for thine inheritance. Isn't that a beautiful prayer? Lord, I know we're a stiff-necked people. But Lord, pardon our iniquity and our sin. Take us for your inheritance. God says in verse 10, and he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Moses, you haven't seen anything yet. You haven't seen anything as to what I'm going to do. The plans that I have out there for you and these people to go into the promised land. Observe thou which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hevite, and the Jebusite. These are all people that are populating what we call the Holy Land today. They were all idol worshipers. They, they didn't worship Jehovah God. They were worshiping other gods. And notice what he says in verse 13. But you shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. These are their places of worship. Destroy their altars. Break down, break their images and cut down their groves. They'd have their worship area out in a grove of trees, usually up on the highest place around. So God is giving Moses instructions now Moses won't get to carry this out. Moses will die before they enter the promised land. But yet he's given these instructions to Moses and uh, God knows that they will be passed on down. Verse 12, he says, take heed to thyself. Moses, I want you to watch yourself. 
lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be a snare in the midst of thee. He's warning Moses, don't go with the idea that you're going to make a covenant with those people. It will be a snare for you. It will be a trap. But you shall destroy their altars, break their images, cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other god. For the Lord, Jehovah, whose name is Jealous and is a jealous God. I heard Oprah Winfrey say on TV one day, the reason that she didn't go to Christian churches anymore. She heard a pastor preach that God is a jealous God. And she said, I don't want a God that is jealous. What she fails to understand is you can't be jealous unless you love someone. Is that right? If you don't love them, you know, you're not going to get jealous of them. So a God that loves with the love that God has for someone who forsakes him and goes after an idol God somewhere, it makes God jealous. And he's telling this to Moses. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. God said, Moses, if you start doing this, this is what's going to happen. If you make a covenant with them, then he says, your people's going to start to mix and mingle. There's going to be marriages between yous. You're going to go along with some of their kind of worship, and they go along a little bit with yours, and so on and so forth. And he says, it, you go after their gods. In verse 17, Moses had already heard this, thou shalt make thee no molten gods. God put the word in there, molten, this time, didn't he? Don't you make any more of them melted calves. <laughs> of course, it wasn't Moses that did that in the first place, but he's the leader. Any questions or comments before we move on into verse 18, where the subject changes just a little bit here? Yeah, right. That's right, Bob. Take us. Yeah. Uh -huh. That's uh, that's a good thought, Linda. God uh, or Moses got very angry. 
when we get angry, sometimes we, we do the wrong thing, don't we? The Bible says, be ye angry and sin not. But I've, I've found it very much so that when I get angry, if I'm not very, very careful, I'll step across the line. <laughs> that, uh, I guess that's why that warning's in the Bible, be ye angry and sin not. And it finishes out by saying, let not the sun go down on your wrath. In other words, don't go to bed mad. You won't sleep that night. I've had experience with that. <laughs> okay. Verse 18. He starts talking to Moses about the, the feasts and the Sabbath that... Uh, they'll be involved in. The Feast of Unleavened Bread shalt thou keep. Now when is the Feast of Unleavened Bread? Passover. Yeah. We just went through that here a few weeks ago, didn't we? The Feast of Unleavened Bread shalt thou keep. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread as I commanded thee in the time of the month Abib, for in the month Abib thou camest out from Egypt. This is somewhere late March, early April in our calendar. Uh, if you've noticed, Easter switches around every year. It's not on a specific date. It's all done according to the when the moon changes. But... Uh, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, or the Feast of Passover. This is one of the three feasts that the Lord will tell them to keep. And this one was, I would say, probably the most important one, because it was the Day of Atonement was included in, in this feast. And the others was more of a celebration type thing, celebrating the harvest and those kind of things. He tells him in verse 19, all that openeth the matrix is mine. That's speaking of the firstborn. Every firstborn is mine. Every firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep, that is male. But the firstling of an ass or a donkey, thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou redeem him not, thou shalt break his neck. What is it about a donkey that God didn't want anything to do with it? Stubborn, I guess so. They'll kick you too, won't they? Beast of burden, yeah. But, uh, these were animals that were used to carry loads and uh, things like that. And the Lord fixed it to where they would not bring that and, and offer it. Uh, but it was to be redeemed with a lamb. They were to bring a sacrifice, but it was not to be the donkey. It was to be the lamb. And he says, if thou shalt, if you do not redeem him, then break his neck. In other words, it wasn't to live, 
unless they redeemed it with a lamb. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem. And none shall appear before me empty. Every son that was born, there was a redemption price to pay. I don't remember exactly what it was, but somebody, if you remember, will let you share it with us. Then God injects once again about the Sabbath day. He keeps telling them this over and over again. Six days thou shalt work, but on the seventh day thou shalt rest. In earing time and in harvest thou shalt rest. God wanted man to have a day of rest every week. I still think he wants every man, woman, boy, and girl to take a day of rest every week. And some's going to say, well, it's harvest. We've got to get the harvest in. But take that day of rest. Others are going to say, well, the, the corn's come in down here. We need to pick it. Take that day of rest. Brother Lloyd Houston, I used to be his pastor at Island Creek Church in Madisonville. And Lloyd liked to talk about his daddy. They farmed together for, well, all of Lloyd's life until his daddy died. But he told me about when it was harvest time. He said, we would go to church on Sunday, Sunday morning and Sunday night. And said, after church, we would come home and we'd fix a good meal. And he'd say, we'd put on our work clothes and we'd sit there till one minute after midnight. And then we started harvesting the crops. He said, my daddy taught me that all my life. You don't work on the Sunday. So he said, we waited till one, one minute into Monday <laughs> and started working in the dark, harvesting the crops. Now, that's, uh, that's keeping it down to the, the minute, it looks like. Where did we get to? Verse 22. Thou shalt observe the Feast of Weeks. I think that's also called the Feast of Tabernacles. Am I right about that? Uh, and of the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the Feast of Ingathering in the year's end. Feast of Weeks, first fruits of the wheat harvest and. Yeah, okay, that's Tabernacle. Yeah. Thank you. So three, three weeks a year, the men were to all come before God at these festivals. They were to come to Jerusalem, really, after, after they got into the, the promised land. And in verse 23, it says, Thrice in the year shall your men children appear before the Lord God, the God of Israel. That was mandatory. By the time of Jesus' day, the Jewish people had scattered far and wide. They were in several different countries. I believe you'll find there in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, that, uh, if I remember correctly, there were Jewish people there that were representative of about 17 different nations 
that had come for Pentecost. And that, that would be 50 days after Passover. So it would be when the first crops were, were brought in. And <clears throat> they travel from far and wide to come to those. And I'm sure there was times when some of them couldn't make it. But at other times they, they tried to. Verse 24, For I will cast out the nations before thee, and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land, when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. Now listen, these people are farmers. They leave their land. They go to that gathering place, whether it was in Jerusalem or, or somewhere else. Three times a year, they would go there. They'd probably be gone at least a week, maybe more. It depends on how far they had to travel. But God gives them a promise there. I will cast out the nations before thee and enlarge thy borders. Neither shall any man desire thy land when thou shalt go up to appear before the Lord thy God thrice in the year. That's God's protection, isn't it? God says, I'm going to watch after your farm, after you're gone. Don't you worry about it. Nobody's going to come in and steal your crops. I'll keep them away. That's better than a watchdog, ain't it? Verse 25, Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven. Leaven is always associated with evil. That's why they had unleavened bread. Neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until the morning. It was all to be eaten. What wasn't eaten was to be burned. The first of the first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. That appears several times about don't cook a, a little goat in its mother's milk. And I don't know, I've never found anybody that wrote anything to explain that. Does anybody know anything about it? <laughs> no. I would imagine it was probably a heathen practice. And God didn't want any part of that. Uh, the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words have I made a covenant with thee and with Israel. And he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. Now listen to this. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Forty days and forty nights. When you add it up, he was up there eighty days and eighty nights, but on this trip, forty days and forty nights. And it says about this one that he fasted all the time he was there. Didn't take any food or any water. Now God had to do a miracle in his life to keep him alive. I was in the room of a lady who died 
and she hadn't had anything to eat or drink in several days. And I remember what the doctor said when he came in to check her. He said, well, she almost made it 40 days and 40 nights without anything to eat or drink. But she had just withered away to nothing. But Jesus, how many days was it he fasted and prayed? 40 days and 40 nights. So that's something that Moses and Jesus has in common, isn't it? It came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables. Let me go back. I, I meant to say something about <clears throat> there in verse 28. And he, Moses, wrote upon the table the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Now over in verse 1, was it? Somewhere along in there. God said that he would write it. God wrote the first ones. I think he dictated this to Moses on the second go-round, let Moses write it. Uh, sometimes when we... I suppose the first time it was written by the finger of God, but... Yeah, yeah. when you do all that work, you protect it a little more. <laughs> Does it? Okay. Yeah, verse 27, The Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words. For after the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with thee and with Israel. Yeah. But there, there has been some different opinions on that. Came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand. When he came down from the mount, that Moses, King James says, wist or knew not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. What made his face shine? What was it? God's glory. He'd been in the presence of God, hadn't he? And you know, there's been a few times in my life when I've been in some wonderful worship services and the Lord would just come down you could just see a glow on people's face here Moses had been up there for 40 days and nights I bet he shined like a big bulb but uh, Verse 30, when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh him. I wonder why they were afraid. 
<laughs> That's right. I imagine it would be kind of a scary thing. Yeah. Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. I'm sure he was sharing with them what happened up on the mountain, what all he'd experienced there. And it says, And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them the commandment, all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. They couldn't look at him. So he put a veil over his face, shared with them what God had said. Verse 34, but when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off. That little tabernacle that he had outside the camp there, he'd go and talk with the Lord. He took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that, he, that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. I was, there's a couple different opinions on this. Some people said that Moses put the veil upon his face because the people couldn't stand to look at him when his face was shining. Others said he put it on to keep them from seeing that the glory had left. Now, which, which way do you agree with <laughs> I don't not either, <laughs> but uh, yeah. But you know, some of these Bible scholars they have to get in their controversy. But uh, anyway, he put a veil over his face. Sometimes, sometimes he didn't. But. Uh, Anyone with a question or comment? Okay, Bob. He was angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, uh, well, if you read over, I believe it's in Second Corinthians chapter three. Uh, Paul refers to this veil over Moses' face, and it seems to me that from Paul's writing that Paul was saying that Moses covered his face so that they couldn't see the glow was gone. And uh, maybe, I don't know. But, uh, Bob, concerning your question last week, I think I found an answer. Uh, if I can find it here. Bob's question about uh, uh, the Lord speaking to Moses face to face and then him saying, 
He couldn't look upon his face. Where was that, Bob? Do you remember? Chapter 30. Yeah. Okay, verse 11. <clears throat> well, let's go back to verse 9. It came to pass as Moses entered into the tabernacle, the cloudy pillar, that Shekinah glory, descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the cloudy pillar stand at the door of the tabernacle. And all the people rose up and worshiped, every man in his tent. And the Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friend. And he returned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua the son of Nun, a young man, departed not from out of the tabernacle. And going back and studying that, Bob, I, I can see uh, your point, but I see it from a different uh, angle. God came down in this cloudy pillar and Moses is standing there talking. And God talks with him, it says face to face as a man and this man speaks to his friend. Could Moses see into that cloud? I think that's the answer. Uh, and true, God said, you can't look on my face and live. So Moses knew God was there. God was talking with him. But yet God was concealed in that cloud. Now, that made sense to me. I don't know if it does to anybody else. They talked, but didn't necessarily see each other. And uh, so sometimes... These uh, questions arise, and sometimes we can find an answer, and sometimes we can't. But uh, it's still God's Word. Well, thank you so much for your attention tonight and your help in studying this passage of Scripture. And uh, we want to have our benediction, and if you'd like to gather with your prayer partners and pray with them, please do so. <clears throat>